We're turning to Judges chapter 12 again uh, this morning, or again to Judges, but we're at the 12th chapter. And I want you to open at the end of chapter 12 of Judges and uh, keep your Bible open. And we will be turning to another scripture or so. Um, So let the Word speak to us this morning. Ask the Lord to speak to you. Ask the Lord to show you or say something to you this morning. And then when he does, whatever it is, act upon it. And then you'll receive the blessing for that. Of the 13 judges... They span 350 years of the history of ancient Israel. About nine of them are virtually unknown. And those nine were called minor judges in comparison to the major judges. Uh, And you would know some of them. You would know, of course, about Gideon and Samson and Barak and probably Deborah. But today we're going to look at the third of these lesser-known, unassuming judges, minor judges, behind the scenes. And we're looking at them as we have for the third Sunday morning uh, on the premise of the text in Zechariah 4 and verse 10. Despise thou not the day of small things. And as I said last week, Let no man or woman or boy or girl in this assembly ever think that they're no use or ever think that there's nothing that they or you can do. Your gift may not be preaching. It may not be singing. It may not be praying out loud. Some's not good at that. It may not be witnessing and it may not be testifying in public. But there are a host and a raft of other things that's required in the body politic of the church. And you fall into that somewhere because when you were saved, the Lord did give you a gift. And you need to make sure you know what that gift is and you need to use it because gifts have accountability. And when we come to the judgment seat of Christ, we will have to give an account. Now, we saw in the first of these three minor judges two weeks ago, Shamgar the plowman. That was the man with the ox goad, slew 600 Philistines, enemies, the worst of Israel's enemies. And uh, we used the the headings there. He did what he could, where he was, with what he had. And then I added on one of my own to that because that wasn't my saying, but this last one is in the time that he had because the time is short and we need to be up and doing. Now last week we looked at Tola and I'm sure you never heard much of either of those two names. Last week we looked at Tola. He never used a sword or a spear or a jawbone of an ass or an ox goad. His gift was not to fight the enemies from without, but to comfort and to defend the the, the people of God from within. 
and he defended Israel for 23 years. It doesn't say he delivered them. The only time we read of, him, of one defending. And he came into the, into the work of God at a time when there was great division in the people of God and he brought them together. He was raised as a shepherd, not as a soldier. And his name means crimson worm, speaking of his humility and speaking of his identity uh, of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the CDs on that, and you can get it if you wish. But this morning we're going to look at the last of these uh, uh, minor judges. Uh, and I don't think that I'm going too far when I say the one that we're looking at this morning is the, less, the least of the least of all the minor judges. Now that's saying something. And uh, if you glance at chapter 12 and verse 8 of Judges 12 and verse 8, you'll read in verse 8 about one here, Ibzan of Bethlehem judged Israel. Then after, down in verse 11, and Elam, Elam of Zebulun judged Israel. Uh, and then in verse 12, and Elon the Zebulite, and after him Abdon the son of Hillel. Now those are judges that you probably, and I, be quite honest, never knew or heard much about. But they're all there. And remember, these judges were not voted in, they were not selected, they were raised up by God at a time of need. And if God saw fit to raise them up, then he had a purpose for them. They were kings in their own rights. And here they are. But the one that we're after this morning is in verse 11, it is, it is Elon. Now let's read these two verses. And after him, Elon the Zebulonite judged Israel... And he judged Israel ten years. And Elon the Zebulonite died and was buried in Adulon in the country of Zebulon. Zebulon. That's all that it says about this man. That's all. You'd put all this man's CV on the back of a postage stamp. He wouldn't have had much going for him out in the world where we live today. You know, I turned up a half a dozen commentaries to find something about this man, and most of them were all silent. I googled him, and there's nothing on the Google about him either. Most of them all skipped past him and come to the others. Now, I had to cast myself upon God because I felt I was nearly leaving this man and, and the Holy Spirit said to me, you read it carefully again. And I read and read it, and I discovered, as I read it, that in this short biography of 27 words, the Holy Spirit mentions his name twice and the place he came from twice. Now, God does not play with words. The Holy Spirit didn't put in this man as his name twice and the place that he came from twice in two small verses without having a reason for that. And when I dwelt upon this repetition, I thought to myself, what is God saying here? 
And then I began to see the reason why God raised this man and why God used this man and why he was a man for many years judged over Israel. And I found in the depth of this text uh, jewels and gems that I wouldn't have time this morning to share with you, but I want to share some of them with you. And I always want you to keep in mind the text in Zechariah, despise not thou the day of small things. Fred Harris used to sing years ago here, little as much when God is in it. Now in order to get a full picture of this man, we need to go back to the beginning. Now we're going to, we're going to emphasize not only his name, because his name means an oak tree. And the oak's a strong tree. And if you were to study the oak tree in the scriptures alone, you'd have a message. This man was strong. He may have been small in name and maybe in stature. And certainly, as far as the word of God's concerned, but he was strong. He was as strong as an oak. And you'll see why. But we're going to look at the tribe because the tribe Zebulun's mentioned twice. And the Holy Spirit puts that in so that we would do the work. We can't always depend on commentaries to do our work. We have to allow the Holy Spirit to do his work. So I want you to turn back to me to Genesis 49. Now take your time. I hope that you'll turn with me in the Scriptures. Turn back because God will have something to say to you this morning. And in Genesis chapter 29, uh, 49 rather, now, if you know anything about Genesis 49, you'll know that old Jacob, the father of the twelve sons of Israel, has come to his last day, his last hour upon earth. We know from the scriptures that he was blind almost, 147 years of age, he was sitting on the edge of the bed, leaning upon a staff. And just before he gathers his feet up into the bed and passes on, one by one he bless, blesses and prophesies over the twelve sons. The firstborn, Reuben, verse 3. Look at verse 3, Reuben. Look at verse 5, Simeon and Levi. Look at verse 8, Judah. Then when you go down to verse 13, we read this. Zebulun shall dwell at the haven of the sea, and he shall be for, the, for a haven of ships, and his borders shall be on to, on to Zidon. Now I want you to mark that word, dwell. You see, God shows Jacob, hundreds of years later, where this tribe's exactly where they're going to dwell. Now remember Moses wasn't born and Joshua wasn't born at this time. But God told them in the whole power of the Holy Spirit that the tribe Zebulun will dwell in this part of the land of Canaan. And whenever Joshua came hundreds of years later to divide the land he gave to Zebulun this portion of land. 
Now, it was right down in the north of, the, of, 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 of Palestine where the present-day Haifa is. It was on the coast of the Mediterranean, a haven where he where they dwelt. Now, let me apply a wee bit here to you this morning. You see, it's good when the Lord's allowed to choose where we dwell. And we need to allow the Lord to show us where we dwell. You're going to see because this tribe dwelt in the place where God had them dwell, that they were blessed. And I say to you this morning, if he sends you to the seashore, this is where this was, you'll know about it, about it in a minute. If he sends you to the seashore, go, but if he doesn't, don't. And if he sends you to Africa, go, but if he doesn't, don't. If he sends you to the mountain, go, but if he doesn't, don't. Because I've known ministers and I've known pastors and I've known Christians who went through all sorts of chicanery to go places and get places and get houses and get manses where God never wanted them to be and it ended up a disaster. If we sing where he leads me, I will follow, then we need to follow. You see, Lot dwelt in Sodom and he shouldn't have been there. Elijah dwelt in the caves of Horeb, and he shouldn't have been there. David dwelt amongst the Philistines, and he shouldn't have been there. Jonah was in the bottom of the ship, and he shouldn't have been there. The prodigal was at the swine truck, and he shouldn't have been there. Seekest thou great things for thyself? Seek them not, unless you first seek the Lord for guidance. I was talking to a man not so long ago, and he was asking me, would you pray for me that I will know how the Lord will guide me? I says, go home and fast and pray for three days. Well, he looked at me, and he never answered me. I says, if you're desperate about the will of God, go home and fast for three days and pray. If you're desperate, You see, God has a haven and God has a cove. And that's, that haven means cove. God has a haven. God has a cove. God has a shelter. And he has a place for each one of us and is under his wings. The sea was before them. The Mediterranean was before this tribe. And right behind them was the Sea of Galilee. They were in very good ground, I tell you. But you see, old Jacob didn't only tell them where they, where they would be in the divine plan. He told them what they would do in the divine plan. Now, keeping in mind this man, Elon, keeping in mind this judge that he raised up, he told them where, what the, what, where they would be and what they would do. He said that you'd be at the haven of the sea with the ships. Now, those are not battleships. Those are fishing boats. Let me say again, just in front of the tribe was the Mediterranean, just behind them was the Sea of Galilee, Capernaum. Now watch this. 
It was from this tribe came Peter, James, and John, and Andrew. Four of the apostle fishermen. James and John's father was the name of Zebedee, taking his name, I believe, from Zebulon. You see, he not only shows us where to dwell, he shows us our dwelling, but he shows us our calling. They were fishermen. Elon came from the fisherman tribe. Let me tell you this morning that we're all fishermen. We're all from the fisherman tribe this morning, every child of God. Because he said to Peter, James, and John, and Andrew, come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Every one of us Christians this morning are supposed to be fishing for souls. Nowhere did you read in the Word of God that there's only ministers and pastors and evangelists and workers that have to lead and search for souls for the Lord. It's a job ever given to every one of us. I had a tent mission many years ago, and after the tent mission, there was a deputy prison governor come under conviction. And he searched the tent, he searched the field for me, and he couldn't get me, and he, he came to another man that was saved 50 years. 50 years! and who sang and who preached to. He couldn't even lead him to the Lord. God help you if someone knocked your door some night and says, this man up here is a Christian, I want to get saved. Don't be ringing me now. Because if you don't know how to lead a soul to the Lord, it's time that you did, and it's time you had a half a dozen verses in the inside of your Bible just to show people how to come, how to take them through the Word of God and to show them how to be saved, because you're going to need it when the revival comes. We're all fishermen. Jeremiah 16 and 16 says this, I will send many fishers, says the Lord, and they shall fish for them. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. Put in the sickle, the harvest is ripe. Let me tell you how these men fished. Well, we know how Peter, James, and John fished. We know how this tribe of fishermen fished. They fished with nets. And whenever the Lord came across them at the Galilee, they were washing their nets. Now you would wonder why nets would have to be washed. Well, I can tell you they have to be washed. For I, in my young days, netted fish, netted salmon coming up from the Atlantic. And that net had to be hung out and stretched down 150 feet or f- f- more along on, on pegs, and it had to be washed. Old bits of dirt and old bits of grime and bits of algae and everything. Fish are very sensitive, you know. And the Galilee, no, the Galilee wasn't the cleanest of places. It was a lake, you know, and this lake, the stuff gathered on the net, and that old stuff had to be taken off. Nets have to be clean. Let me tell you, before we go out to fish, we need to be clean. Be ye clean that bear the vessels of the Lord. 
There's not a bit use in us going out to try to reach souls if there's sin in our lives. Everything has to be, we need a good testimony before we go out into the world because they'll not be long telling us. But then we read again that they were mending the nets. So we quarter inch mesh and, 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 and those wee meshes tear and then they go into another one and then they go into another and then there's a hole in the net and the fish go through. And when you cast your net and you go out to fish for souls, I'll tell you this, it needs to be unity, you need to be together. There's things that need to be mended. Relationships need to be mended. Because there's no use in you going out to us going out to fish and knock doors and win souls and do missions and do meetings if there's something against a brother or a sister. It's no use. So they were washing the nets and they were mending the nets. And let me say something else. Unless we wash the nets and unless we mend the nets, we may as well not fish. And there's not a hope of revival. If you spend days criticizing the people of God, or the elders, or the pastors, or the ministers, and then they cast the nets. Once they had the nets right, they cast the net. And let me tell you something more. They cast it where the Lord told them to cast it. Because we can have the nets clean and we can have the nets washed and we can have the nets mended and we can cast them in the wrong place. We need to know from God. What side to put down the net? So this was the fisherman tribe this man was from. This was a good man to have in the middle of God's people in times of crisis. They were fishing men. But I'll tell you this, they were fighting men. Turn to First Chronicles chapter 12. Go on ahead on over to First Chronicles. Way past First and Second Samuel. In First Chronicles chapter 12. They were not only fishermen, but they were fighting men. There were men who stood, and let me tell you, Peter stood whenever he got all sorted out. And so did John. Verse 33. Now this is, this here is David speaking, not Abraham. David. David's referring to Zebulun here. Of Zebulun, such as went forth to battle, expert in war, with all the instruments of war, 50,000 which could keep rank, and there were not of double heart. Now let me take you to this this morning. Do you see when the children of Israel crossed over at Gilgal and eventually Joshua gave them the land where they had to go to? 
Zebulun had a long journey from where they came over to go down to the coast where the haven of rest was to dwell. They had to fight their way down. You get a map. They had to face enemy after enemy. And those hymns that talk about Canaan being heaven, don't sing them because it's not right. This is not heaven we're in. We're in a battle. And there's a battle all the way. And it will be a battle until we get to the haven of rest. Until we dwell on the heavenly shore. We'll have to fight. The world, the flesh, and the devil. And this tribe of Zebulun had to fight their way down, and they did. And they did. They fought their way down. Paul says, with much affliction, we enter into the kingdom of God. Psalmist says, it is good to be afflicted. You know, the Lord said to the people when he led them through, he says, I'll lead you through the great and terrible wilderness that I might humble thee and prove thee. And all the time these men were making their way down to the haven of rest, down to the seashore, down to where God had promised the land, down to where God had told them to be. He didn't tell them it would be easy. He didn't tell them it would be a joyride. He told them they would fight and they would have to battle and they would get there. But all through all those trials and through those troubles and through those fights, they proved and tested God and it made them as strong as an oak. For you learn in the trials thing you'll never learn in the peace. And you learn in the situations in your family and the situations in your work and your situations in your health things that you will never learn on the mountaintop. You learn them in battle. I love old Thomas Watson. I love his sayings, old Puritan. He says, the afflictions on the ungodly make them blaspheme more. But on the godly, it makes them pray more. (laughs) I like that. When the affliction and the death comes to an ungodly man, it takes away their soul. When it comes to a godly man, it takes away their sin and their pride. How true that is. A dose of affliction, mind you, can humble us. And then he says this, his head was crowned with thorns. Do you think ours should be crowned with roses? Oh, burdened, tried, tested soul, whoever you are, wherever you are this morning, say like the psalmist, all this has come upon me, yet have I not forgotten thee. Don't forgotten thee. Don't forget him in the trial. Don't forget him in the pain. Endure it. Fight. Because God uses that affliction to draw us closer to him and to drive the devil away. Forget not all his benefits. 
Now notice what it says about this tribe that this man belonged for. It says in this text in 33 that they were experts in war at fighting. That's the word it used, experts. The only way that you'll become an expert in the spiritual fight, the only way is through experience. And I know that this is resonating with some of you here this morning, and listen to me, that you know what I'm going to say is true. The experience is gained in the battle. Every affliction, every burden, every trial, every tear, every heartache, every disappointment strengthens us for the next one. It's like a step of stairs. These men became experts. You'll only become experienced, my friend, experts by experiences. That's why when we start out in the Christian life, God in His grace and mercy doesn't lay too heavy a burden on us at the start. He gives us things that he knows he can handle. It's the file now working at us and make, he's the potter and we are the clay and, and, and he has to mold us and make us and put us into shape and he still does it all the days of our life and he's still doing it. But at the beginning he starts easy and he's gracious and he's good but he knows we get on and spiritual growth he, he, he puts on the pressure. And all the time he's proving, testing, watching how we react. And, but he brings us through to blessing. And you'll see that as we come to an end soon here. He brings us through to blessing. Peter, the son of this tribe, was told that by the Lord Jesus. He says, Peter, he told him, you'll fail me, you'll fall, you'll swear, you'll curse, you'll deny me. But he says, when you're converted, when you're changed, when this is all over, you'll strengthen the brethren. I was speaking to a man last week, and he told he was through an awful trial. An awful trial. I wouldn't want to, I don't know, God must have put it on him because he could handle it. And he says, and through it, he says, God showed me that I am to minister to others in such a state. And there's only a man like that that can minister to others. For we would know nothing about it, including the preacher. There were experts in fight. Watch it again. They were armed in fight. Did all the instruments of war. This is a lovely wee text, isn't it? Did all the instruments of war. And we have all the instruments of war. We have everything that we need. We have the whole armor of God. We have this old sword here. Praise God. We have the breastplate of righteousness, the girdle of truth, the shoes of peace, the helmet of salvation, above all, taking the shield of faith from the fiery darts of the wicked, and the sword of the Lord, and the sword of the Lord, which is the power of God, praying in the Spirit. Who oh, tell you? You had a dozen men like that on night's prayer, you'll drive back the devil, let me tell you. They were armed for the fight. 
We have the armory, but have we it on? Look at, they were disciplined in the fight. Look at what it says there. There were 500 of them. There were, there were, there were 50,000 of them. Aye, 50,000 of them which, which could keep rank. That is, they stood. That's a, that's a military word. I don't know what the discipline's like in the training center in the PSNI now, and I wouldn't want to know either. But I know what it was like in the early 1970s down in the depot in Enniskill, and I knew what it was like. That Philip comes here to preach that man, uh, McFarland, his father was an ex-Marine. He was a, an ex-Marine uh, instructor in the depot. And behind him was a fellow troop, Jock, troop, Jock Cooper. He was the next guardsman. I tell you, when you had an hour and an hour and more of them boys on the square on a hot day, you used to go up between the ranks of the police and if there was one man just a wee bit back, he'd push him in. They were completely in ranks. Well, there's 50,000 50, here. They're standing together. They're standing firm. They're standing in unity. They're ready for battle. They were disciplined in fight. Are you disciplined? Have you a disciplined prayer life? Family altar life? Have you disciplined yourself above your job, above your family, above your children, above your home to have time for the Lord and time for his services in the house? They were disciplined in the fight. That's what this, where this man come from. And lastly, they were focused on the fight. Look at the last of it. They were not of double heart. Nor of double tongue. Nor of double mind. Their heart was fixed on one thing. And that was getting to the haven of rest. That was obeying God. This one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, I press on towards the mark. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. My friend, the Lord needs to be our number one focus in everything. And if he's not, there's failure. He cannot serve God and mammon. These men are going to go on and go through with God and fight the enemy and get to the haven of rest and get to their dwelling place. They're going to have to stand together and they're going to have to be single-minded in what to do. No double heart, no double tongue, no double mind. Mind you, he set his face as a flint. And he didn't turn back. And he didn't give in. 
And he had one thing, one thing in his heart and in his soul, the cross, Calvary. Now lastly, and I will finish now, turn back to Deuteronomy 33 and verse 18. Jump back some scriptures to Deuteronomy chapter 3, chapter 33, sorry, and verse 18. Now, this is not Jacob, this is not David, this is Moses. Coming near the end of the journey. In verse 18 he says, And of Zebulun he said, Rejoice, Zebulun, in thy going out, and Issachar in thy tents. They shall call the people onto the mountain, and there shall offer sacrifice of righteousness, for they shall suck of the abundance of the seas, and treasures of hidden in the sand. Let me just put in a wee word there. You know that uh, that land this night, this morning, that they're stuck on the abundance of the sea. Do you know that they found oil wells there? And nobody knows the extent of them, but they're supposed to be very rich. And of course, this was where the zinc and the zore and the mine and the jewels came from. Old Abram was moving in the spirit when God told him, they shall suck of the abundance of the seas and of the treasure hid in the sand. Treasures in the sand. It's a queer text. Treasures in the deep. That's not what I'm after this morning as I close. This is what I'm after. There weren't only fighters and fishers. There were finishers. The finished rejoicing. Look at what it says. And Zebulun, he said, Rejoice in thy going out. When you're going out, for the chil- out with the children tomorrow morning, rejoice. When you're coming in, rejoice. When you're going to the dentist, rejoice. When you're going for the test, rejoice. Again, I say rejoice in the Lord. They finish joyfully. I want to finish joyfully. I want to go to the dwelling place, to the haven of rest. I want to go there to abide and to dwell forever. I want to go rejoicing, not an old dead carnal Christian that can't open his mouth and say amen. Don't want to go like that. They finish joyfully, they finish spiritually. Look at the text again. Verse 19, then shall call the people onto the mountain, and there they shall offer sacrifices of righteousness. Now the altar's there, and the blood's there, and the cross is there. 
Wow, how much we could say about that if we had time this morning. They finished well spiritually. And they finished well materially with the abundance of the seas and the treasures hid in the sand. This is the background to a man for ten years who led the great nation of Israel as a judge. He was a fisher. He was a fighter. He was a finisher. Finish well, brothers and sisters. Finish well for God. Finish well. Don't go empty-handed. Don't go without being able to lay souls at the feet of Christ. I say, don't go. Don't fall in the fight. Stand your ground. Hold on. The best is yet to be. We'll get there. Glory to God, we'll get there. I'm going to a city that's wider far than day. Here we have no continual city, but we seek one to come. There's a dwelling place in the glory. It'll be worth it all when we see Jesus. It'll be worth it all. Oh, don't go down in the fight now. Don't give in to the enemy now. Don't pull back now. Set your face as a flint like he did. And go all the way and follow him. And the blessing will come. Amen. Let us pray. Loving Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for your word. And we thank you, Lord, for the application of it to our hearts and to our souls. And, oh God, you know how you spoke to my heart. And I pray, Lord, that you'll speak to hearts of those gathered this morning and other places, whoever listens. It is your word, and we bless you for the preciousness and the depth of your word. We thank you for your goodness to us, Lord. And, oh God, we pray that you'll make us a Peter, a James, a John, an Andrew. Make us fishers of men, we pray thee, Father. Let us be like John, stand to the end. And, oh God, to stand for thee and to be what you would have us to be. Pray now, Lord, that you'll bless those that must go and those who remain. May we know the presence of the Lord around this table. For Jesus' sake, amen.